Welcome to Manager Tools. The Manager Tools Onboarding Checklist, Part 1. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. Should I use a checklist for onboarding tasks? What tasks do I need to include in my onboarding plan? How long should onboarding take? Well, if you want answers to these questions or more, keep listening. So we've talked about um, onboarding last couple casts, and that is made hard partly for, for most managers, just as a function of the Horseman Christmas rule, right? If you don't do it very often, like figuring it out every time from scratch becomes hard. And that's why checklists are so darn important. Yeah. In fact, I, a couple of times as I was writing this cast, thought about the Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande, which, is, which has transformed a great deal of medicine, particularly surgery, and one of the things I've learned, it was so cool to learn, is that creativity is actually increased in processes by checklist. And what we've done with the, this checklist is, is uh, create a draft. Uh, and the document, the spreadsheet, is actually available to all our licensees. You can thank pilots. We, we really set the, the tone here for checklist. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you want to send yeah. thank you notes, just write them to... Market manager yeah. <laughs> Feel free to write them, guys. Um, yeah, customer service at manager tools.com and, uh, and start the note with Mike, and he'll be deluged with what we call reacher requests, long internal joke. And uh, he can start answering reachers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Our audio editor will be cutting this out. <laughs> no, not really. Okay. So uh, here's our outline for the show. Pretty straightforward. We want to cover a few things about the why of a checklist. So we're going to talk about the checklist and creativity, which is something I hear an awful lot in the field about, well, I don't want to do one-on-ones because I'm a creative person, which is like saying, I don't want to eat because I'm tall, or I don't want to wear that shirt because the house is yellow. I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know. doesn't make any sense. Non sequiturs, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. We're also going to talk about measuring and the value of a hot wash by having a, a checklist. And then my favorite is a known checklist that's reportable that other people can view, you can put online for your team, is it, it can be delegated. And then we're gonna walk through the task list. Now, when we start walking through the task list, um, the reason we're doing that is for non-licensees, we just wanna explain overall all the tasks. We are not going to verbally go through all 250 tasks in the spreadsheet. And by the way, folks, don't get worried about that 250. I promise it's completely reasonable. But if you're a licensee, you may choose to drop off at that point of the cast because you're going to be able to download the spreadsheet and be able to enter data and quickly start onboarding people. And then you'll have results of what was red and what was green and when and why and so on. Okay, so let's let's get into the uh, this problem folks have with checklists and creativity because man, they just they just don't go together. They just it doesn't yeah, doesn't work. Right? I mean, I'm hamstrung. You can't confine me to this little box. I have to be free. Yeah, exactly free. Just because onboarding is about creating a new relationship, and that's what the person said to me in the field about three months ago. Oh well, that because that's creating a new relationship. Then I I don't need a checklist to do that. But that doesn't mean it can be left up to personality or creativity. In fact, the pendulum swings back and forth in mankind's history between individual freedoms and organizational successes and excesses. 
right now the pendulum in my opinion is strung too far toward individuality and people have forgotten the value some of the values that organizations provide not saying there aren't organizational excesses there certainly are but there are plenty of also ethical organizations and when people join an ethical organization they actually magnify their ability to serve mankind but look when people say oh it's my personality to do this or that or the other thing you don't get to assert your personality over activities that are known to be beneficial to the organization. In the long run, it doesn't make sense to try to be creative or, or apply your personality without measurement, without structure, without deadlines and so on, and reporting and improvement to anything you want. Uh, there are some things and some situations where checklists are helpful. I remember reading a number of years ago about Frog Design and IDEO, two famous American design firms. I think they're heavily involved in Apple products and many other beautiful products that we all take for granted when design is sublime. And they have you know, they have incredible checklists that they go through. And when it comes to onboarding, you mentioned Horseman's Christmas Rule, where if you do something rarely and it's important to you, you're never going to get better at it. And it's going to be stressful. You can't have a hundred plus things, even if you use a cut down version of our list. You can't have a hundred plus things to get done in a process and say, I'm going to be creative about that, or that's just going to be my personality. Some of those things are influenced or, or even controlled by corporate staff. You cannot do that on the fly every time you hire someone, but that's how most managers approach it. Now, folks, I'm not casting aspersions here. It's a classic problem that managers have it reminds me, even though it's not the same thing, of how you're going to have time to do it over again if you don't have time to do it right the first time. You know, you got to do onboarding and you've hired somebody and now you got to onboard them. And what you really need is an onboarding checklist to have already thought it through, but you haven't had time to already think it through. Frustrating. That's, yeah. that's why manager tools is here. <laughs> well, I'd add something else in terms of the whole creative versus checklist debate. I think once you say on any particular task or activity you regularly engage in that I'm going to be creative every time, you throw away the opportunity for improvement. Documenting a process, having a process, then being able to, once you've completed the process, look back and say, okay, what went well? What do we want to take a look at? Allows you to continually improve. And I think the creative creativity process is a little different and maybe you don't have as much opportunity to improve, which of course we'd like to do. The way I think about creativity is the combination of structure and creativity actually produces more results. I mean, look, Walt Disney said, even creative people need deadlines. Now, look, of course we want to onboard each individual, each new hire individually, right? We want to customize our relationship with them based on them and us. You're probably going to onboard a high C, a perfectionist, an I-daughter and a T-crosser, someone who... It tends to be more reserved and more analytical and logical and linear, very differently than you would a high eye. But they're still going to go through a series of fairly well-known, if you take the time to gather them, steps that most people go through. And you shouldn't be forgetting certain steps and certain things because you just forgot. Because if there are 100 things in the list, you're just going to forget. If you're constantly thinking about what tasks do I need to get done, I'm not really sure. The things that'll be dangerous is when you're super busy doing something else really important and 
there's a critical time happening in the onboarding process. It's the classic case of the manager who's not even available to talk to the new hire on the new hire's first day when it was the manager's decision to hire them and the person who got hired said yes to the manager. That's a really bad mistake that can be eliminated 99.9% of the time. And it happens far more often than it should because managers just are focused elsewhere and say, oh my gosh, he's starting today. I can't do it today. I have this meeting. I have this thing. Yeah. Um, If you're constantly thinking about tasks, what has to be done because you don't have them written down somewhere, and frankly, who has to do what by when, you're not thinking about building relationships, about teaching, about introducing, about developing the effectiveness of your person. You're thinking about what has to be done by when. In fact, you immediately revert to lowest common denominator thinking. So the reason we created the checklist is to free your mind from the mundane to allow you to focus on teaching and relating and growing your new hire. That's why we do this, so that your creativity can be more focused and you can free your mind. In the same way that getting things done eliminates your your brain as this constant reminder echo chamber of all the things you have to do and puts it on paper so that you can focus your brain on one thing at a time and truly give it attention rather than constantly being distracted, assuming you put your phone down. That's what the checklist does. It allows you to say, I'm not worried about the tasks. I know I know, I have tasks coming up, but now when I see that task due in a couple of days, I can be creative around that task rather than at the last minute realizing it needs to be done and then throwing it together quickly because I have to do it. Something else, creativity, according to psychologists, is a muscle in a way that's just like decision-making. There's something called ego strength, which I think is a dumb title for it, but clearly I'm not a psychologist, so they would probably all laugh at me uh, as they were drinking their lattes. And and they would say, yeah, Mark, <laughs> Mark, drinking yeah. psychologist, yeah. you latte drinking psychologist, you. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that because psychologists have made an enormous difference for me in terms of my understanding of management and hierarchical structures. Sitting and in the cafe, listening to so, jazz. Yeah. <laughs> They probably all live in Vienna, too. And decision-making is something that you use up. Your ability to make decisions gets used up during the day. Psychologists tell us, people who know this stuff, say we shouldn't try to make big decisions late in the day because we're decision-tired. You know, think about it in your own life. Have you ever noticed how decisions that you have to make later in the day seem harder to think through? harder to analyze, harder to make. It's not just because you're physically tired or your blood sugar isn't right or you need to eat or you miss your family. It's also because your decision-making muscle is tired. You can wear out your decision-making muscle with a thousand tiny decisions about your schedule and that email and that text message and that interchange during a meeting so that when you finally leave that big decision, the creative decision till 5.30 at night, you're not any good at it. I've said this a hundred times before. I have video of managers between five and seven in the evening at their offices. Folks, you might as well go home because you're a zombie. And it's partially because your ego strength, your decision-making muscle is gone. Well, the same thing's true for creativity. If we're a creative, not bound by the rules, fly by the seat of your pants person, your creativity is still limited. It may be more than mine, 
but it's still limited. And if you're using it all the time on the wrong things, you don't get to shine it especially brightly on the right things. If you have to be creative, which I don't particularly care for that phrase, but if you have to be creative on all the tasks you need to get done throughout the onboarding process, literally create the tasks as you're doing it, you're in danger of wearing out your creativity and not being able to apply it to the moments, the decisions, the instances when something flashes through your head that you could make a notable leap forward, not only in this person's onboarding, but all the future onboardings. There are certain things in the process that are more suited to creativity than others. It doesn't take a great deal of creativity to go online, to get HR, to give your new guy a slot in some HR mandatory training. But if you don't do that in time and you miss the first two or three, and then your boss gets involved, and now you have to send your guy to some HR training when he in fact was scheduled to go to Cleveland on a trip. Now you're trying to be creative to get out of trouble. What good is that? That's not a, that's not a good use of your time. Look, you got to get dressed every morning, but you probably don't spend 90 minutes trying to be creative about the process of getting dressed. That's not the place to spend your creative capital. And frankly, neither is the logistics, the tasks that have to get done for onboarding. See, there you go. That's the high C process-driven person is is great at getting dressed in the morning. It's like, hmm, black socks or black socks? Black socks. Uh, black gray socks, pants yeah. or gray, gray pants. White button-down Oxford shirt. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, it takes me two seconds. Yeah, and, and, if, and if you do it well, you can actually be fashionable at the same time, which is cool. That's, that's a bridge too far for me. No, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I wasn't talking about you. Of course um, not. <laughs> yeah, if you have all the tasks that have to be done captured, as we have in our checklist, and you measure them, that's what gives you the opportunity to be creative and to individualize each new hire's onboarding. I talked to a guy, I mentioned that to somebody a few months ago, and he says, well, I don't need an opportunity to be creative because I'm a creative person. And I would say, I said to this guy, I disagree. I know you'll be creative. You'll likely be creative, but without enough framework and verification, bad logistics and waste will kill the value of your creative relationship building with a new hire, unless they happen to be just like you. And maybe that's so, but you better be careful if all you do is hire people just like you. Look, as I said before, Walt Disney said, even creative people need deadlines. So we need some parameters. We need some guidelines. We need some process checks. And that's what the checklist does. Yeah, and I spoke earlier about process improvement. That's where measurement and conducting hot washes comes in. Yeah. Look, again, over 100, actually over 200, 250 actions, you can't possibly attempt to be good at onboarding without a checklist. With the checklist, though, you not only become good, you don't even have to think about onboarding as a priority. The priority can be your relationship building with the direct. And even though it's not a priority, you get better at it every time. Typically, people get better at things that they consider important to get better at, which usually is shortened to be things that are important. Why not get better at everything? Why not win by a death of a thousand cuts? Why not simply be, rather than being a thousand percent better in one thing, which some companies do, you can be a thousand percent better or one percent better in a thousand things and not have to think about it. Simply documenting, 
posting, reporting on, measuring, monitoring, and then improving the task. I mean, I think a hot wash on a hiring process could be done in 15 to 30 minutes. And then you go away, you make the changes. You can make the changes real time. Yeah, so a checklist like this turns an annoying necessity into a competitive advantage because it's annoying to have to bring the new person up to speed. The moment you hire them, you want them to start working the next day and to be fully functional, as functional, as highly functional as the person you just lost. But that doesn't happen. When other managers are flying by the seat of their pants and behind and missing deadlines in their onboarding process, and by the way, thereby sending a less than great signal to their new hire, we're going to be able to focus our attention on our priorities. Now the priority isn't remembering everything and scramble to get it done. It's the person and their effectiveness, as well as other priorities we have that keep the lights on in the building, in the business. So in this case, with the checklist we've created in the spreadsheet, we've given you the task to complete and a timeline you can use or modify, you'll modify them, I'm sure, to complete them. Different companies have different steps at different days in the process, that's normal. The cells of all the spreadsheet are coded to a certain day. If that day hasn't arrived, uh, it's white. If it's done, it's green. If it's due within the next three days, it's amber or yellow. And if it's due yesterday and it's not done, it's red. The moment you open the checklist, which you don't have to spend a lot of time with, you don't have to think about the checklist. The checklist is to allow you to think about the person. The moment you open it, you get immediate visual guidance. What's done, what's not done, and you immediately know where to spend your time rather than thinking, where are we? Where are we in the process? What's more, because it's written down, because it's measured, because if you post it online, which surely you would, everyone be able to use it, you can assign tasks to all kinds of different people. It takes a village. The first time you use it, you'll have created a baseline. After you finish that first use, you can do a hot wash, and then you can forget about it until it's time to use it again. And the moment you open it up, you'll be reminded of all the tasks. And you say, oh, yeah, I remember this stuff. I remember how it worked. I remember why we changed it. And it's going to be better every time. You can achieve incremental improvement with almost minimal effort. You'll see how well you did on the previous one. It's classic professionalism. That's the kind of stuff I like. Yeah. And then... When you do the hot wash, we recommend you capture your notes each time you do one on an additional spreadsheet tab. You could put down Joe Smith hot wash notes and go through the notes and put a date associated with them. Two columns, what went well, uh, another one take a look at. And if you don't know what we're talking about with Wowatala or hot wash. Search the internet. Okay, might be a podcast out there. Yeah, there might be a podcast called Hot Wash, which I think is in our Hall of Fame, isn't it, Mike? Yes. Yeah. And you put dates on it, and so you can tie those inputs and suggestions to a particular use case. It's a no-brainer. The hot wash also keeps the documented process from becoming a boa constrictor as things go forward. We all hate the process. We know what it's like to have to follow some process very rigidly, in part because we don't know it. 
That's why people follow things in lockstep step with no creativity, because they don't understand why the steps exist. If you don't understand why the steps exist, you're afraid that if you leave one out because it seems like a good thing to leave out, you're going to get in trouble later on. It takes process experience, actual experience with the thing the process is designed to create to know what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And so if you don't do that, if you if you don't have a documented process that you can review through a hot wash or an after action review, you end up maybe having a documented process and no offense to HR, but this happens a lot from HR. The process is two years old and we've changed HRIS systems and annual review systems and pay systems and uh, performance management systems two or three times in the last two years. And we've got a process that they say, well, you're red on the process. Yeah, but your process is idiotic. It says X. Oh, well, you should know that it should have said Y and that you should have modified it. Oh, I don't, I'm not allowed to touch the process. And by the way, you don't provide it to me in a checklist form so I can keep track of it, so I can have the value of reporting and measuring and improving. No offense, you're in the dark ages. You might as well be writing on a cave wall. So you don't want a process that strangles people. And if everyone works on the process, even just a small part, and perhaps for the 90 days the person's being onboarded, it gets a a couple of minutes mentioned in your weekly uh, staff meeting, uh, and then you do a quick hot wash at the end of one of your staff meetings, and now the process is ready to be used again at a higher level. And then when you when you leave and somebody else takes over for you, which which you know by the way, it's your responsibility. Um, I'm always disappointed when when U.S. presidents blame the previous presidents for their problem as if the country wasn't involved. I I hate it when that happens. It's been happening a lot. didn't used to happen, uh, generally speaking, 30 years ago. And part of that is true in that the first six months to nine months, different economists would say different things. The first six to nine months, the new president doesn't have that much impact on the economy. The economy is a much bigger system. But if it goes well, they claim they do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they blame their predecessor and for everything that's bad and then take credit for the stuff that's that's good, even though they haven't had time to implement something. Same thing here. If you don't have a checklist, your successor won't be able to improve on what you're already doing or put differently. Having a checklist like this in place means that if you have a chance to go somewhere else externally or internally or promotion or a lateral move or political move, whatever, the person who takes over from you, it'll be that much easier for them to achieve high standards. And you don't want to be one of those players who hopes your replacement does good, but not quite as well as you. You want them to do better. And when somebody says to you, hey, the new guy seems to be even better than you. He says, yeah. I'd say, yeah. You know what Newton says about that? The only reason I've seen so far is I've stood on the shoulders of giants. I left him a well-running ship. That's the job of every manager. Why would I want him to not do well? That makes it about me and not about the organization. This is what executives do. Executives make better managers than themselves. That's what grows the organization. That's the future of the organization. Go away, chowderhead. (laughs) That's what I would say. Well, it's even better. By the way, I got a, a call from Tana last night, my fiance. Now we're, we're getting married in 24 days, so I suspect I can now talk about it. And there's probably, well, there's an opportunity for it to back out in the next 24 days, but 
Maybe oh it's, my, maybe, I can't maybe believe you maybe said it's okay. that. I'm going to have her listen to this cast. Well, no, don't, because I'm going to talk about it in a second. Before you go any further, I didn't know you were going to do this on the cast. We used to mention more family stuff than we have lately, so I would like to speak for the entire Manager Tools community, two million or so downloads a month, and say congratulations, best wishes. I'm looking forward to being at the wedding. She's wonderful. And uh, you are punching above your weight, sir. I am indeed. That's that's why I'm worried about the 24 days. She might she might figure it out. <laughs> but um, so needless to say, um, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But she she called me last night and was very proud because you warned me about this. And we try not to do this, and folks don't do this with your spouse. But Tana is a uh, a dentist. She has a dental practice, and. Occasionally, we talk about work, and occasionally, I might let slip in some advice about management. So she, I try not to, frankly, but it's an unavoidable. Um, so she calls me last night and was very proud because she she had, she had listed like four or five things that she had delegated, which I was very proud of her because it's not unusual for folks like professionals, lawyers, dentists, doctors, et cetera, to be not great at delegation. So the cool thing it's about it's not unusual. It's normal. That's a that's a that's a very charitable way of putting it. Right. Tana maybe the exception, but holy Toledo. Medical professionals are terrible. Anyway, terrible. Yeah, exactly. So and, and we've talked about enough that she called because she was very proud of the fact that she had done all this delegation, which is flipping awesome. If you're listening, dear, congratulations. So the great thing about checklist is it's even better than turning over a great organization. It's like, you don't have to wait until you get a replacement to stop doing that work. You can delegate it right away. Yeah, look, I mean, basically, if you're keeping your work in your head and it's not on paper, it's not captured, documented, you're the only one who knows what needs to be done. And that means you're the only one who can do it. Now, sure, you can ask somebody else to do it, but you won't have time. You Well, even if you do have time, you won't take the time to tell them all the factors that have gotten into this process, the application in this particular instance. And interestingly enough, there are many of us who will know a great deal more about the task and specifically choose to not tell the direct because they we believe if I have more information than you, I win. There's a great Chinese phrase that I love when when people talk about negotiating with a Chinese business partner, the Chinese phrase for negotiation is, I win, you die. So the idea that someone would have information about a task that would help the accomplisher of the task do the task better and specifically withhold it in order to maximize their relative information gap between that and the other person at the expense of the organization, by the way, is very much an I win, you die kind of thing and fairly selfish. And look, if you don't aren't willing to take the time, you've basically to, to give people the backstory or help them understand context or give them some potential forks in the road that may come to because your task that you're assigning to them is too big. If you do that, then now you have to do everything. And if you have to do everything, gosh, I mean, what if you're busy doing something else? And look, even your first time using the checklist. And I don't mean as a new hire, but as an experienced member of the team onboarding somebody, if they don't know what an item is, right, more work will still get done faster if you get asked what something means on the checklist 
rather than if you have to tell everybody what to do and how to do it every single time. There's learning that happens the first time people read the checklist and they say, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Well, that's the kind of passive knowledge that is easy to accept and remember, but is much on the other hand, creating that task, if we hadn't told you that task exists, creating that task is hard in terms of finding out what it should be. And look, if you have a known process and a documented process, you can share it with other managers too, and that's smart politics. And look, if you wanna mention us as the source of your core of your document, we'd be well pleased if you do that. We don't say that often enough to our community, but we sure would appreciate it. More communication is better. Yeah, and more positive communication is just like, it's like dessert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. 